How are we doing, everybody? That beautiful young lady on stage was my daughter. Can we give Mallory Jane a hand? Yes. Great job, baby. Where are you? I love you. I'm proud of you. Man. Mallory's name is beautiful because of one name. Mallory's beautiful because of Jesus. And I'm thankful that she's my daughter. And uh, thank you, Pastor Jason and the praise team. Um, two of my favorite songs. What if we really internalize those words, y'all? I know you guys walked in here with a lot, and I want you to get settled. Um, the verses that we're going to go over tonight, you could really read them out loud. I just told Bryant this a little while ago. You could read these verses out loud and say amen and go home and be changed forever. The Word of God speaks. Romans chapter 8 is arguably the greatest chapter in Scripture. And these eight verses that we're going to go over tonight change your life if you really internalize them. I grew up in a sports-loving family. My dad played college football and he played college lacrosse, so... We just always kind of grew up, man, there was always a ball around the house, there was always a racket, there was always a glove, there was always something, and there were three boys and dad, so it was always two on two and something, right? Um, my mom tried, they tried desperately for uh, a couple girls and uh, wasn't in God's plan for us to have um, females in our home, so mom had four boys to deal with and um, KB was breaking windows left and right with baseballs and basketballs and footballs and all kinds of things. But naturally, I grew up, when you're a son, you want to please your dad. I grew up the middle, so I was always trying to prove myself to be better than my older brother. And when you're the middle, you always think that you're better than the younger one. But everything I did, I wanted my dad's approval. No matter if we were playing ping pong, checkers, or if it was the state championship game in football, I wanted my dad's approval. There was something about a boy and wanting his dad's love and affirmation and affection. And I used to just try everything to get that. And dad never asked for it. He never said, Kevin, you need to do these things. I was... My two brothers would tell you that out of the three, God gave me the most athletic ability. My older brother, incredibly gifted, um, smart. He's one of the top sports writers in the world. And my younger brother could sell ice to Eskimos. I mean, this guy can do, he's just an incredible communicator, speaker. He just has a heart. He's funny. And then there's me. Right? And so I always use that as a way to get dad's love. Fast forward to when I'm playing high school football. Or excuse me, let me, let me back up to my freshman year of high school. You guys remember, I've told you that before. We moved from South Florida to Boston the summer before my freshman year of high school. And so I started, the only people I knew were in summer tryouts for the soccer team. I played soccer, travel soccer my whole life down in South Florida and loved it. But I always longed to play football because my dad played college football. I always wanted to be like dad. So freshman soccer year, guess what happened to KB? 
I got a red card in the game. And if you know soccer, you get a red card, you're ejected from the game, and you can't play anymore. So there's KB sitting on the sidelines, right? And I'll never forget, my dad said, well, I think your aggression has reached a point where you need to switch sports. I took a guy out, and praise God, he didn't get injured bad, but it was a bad takedown. He was getting ready to score a goal, and I took him down, and they red card me, and I was out of the game. So I switched to football my sophomore year of high school, and I loved it. The aggression, they gave me a helmet, and they said, go hit somebody, and I was like, let's go. So uh, it was perfect for me, but I loved it. I played for uh, a Hall of Fame coach in the state of Massachusetts. He just retired a couple years ago, over 40 years with the same school, multiple state championships. This guy's incredible. And, uh, man, I loved playing for him. But one of the cool things that he did, every Saturday he invited the dads for film study, right? I know some of you girls are like, KB, just get to the sermon. Just bear with me, okay? You love me, and I love you. So after the Friday night game, early in the morning, the coach would go watch film, and he would invite all the dads to come watch the film. And you can imagine if your son played good, you were excited to get there, but if he didn't play very good, maybe you didn't go. But my dad didn't care. He was a football guy, and he loved it. So every Saturday morning, my dad went to watch film with Coach Lopez. And I'll never forget, he came home one Saturday. It was about lunchtime by the time they got done. We won the game the night before against one of our rivals. And if you know anything about football, we were a predominantly running team. I was a wide receiver. I was at left uh, wide receiver on this play. It was a sweep play to our tailback to the right. So, girls, bear with me, guys that don't like football, right? A pitch to the tailback, and he's trying to just score a touchdown. So our guy breaks it past the first line, right, breaks past the defensive lineman. And so I'm on the left side of the line, and where's the play? On the complete other side of the field. And so you can either block the guy like you're supposed to and then try to go get the safety, or you can take the play off and just catch your breath. But I had this coach that said, you always do things the right way. No matter where the play is, don't be the guy, don't let your guy be the guy that makes the tackle that ends the game. So there I go, man, off the line, I get past my guy, and I can see there's one guy left that can stop my tailback. The tailback breaks it. And, man, I'm just hauling butt just trying to get to him, and I'm going as fast as I can. And I get to the other side of the field, and there's one guy. It's me and him, and the tailback's coming, and I can see him. And I hit this guy out of bounds, and our tailback scores the touchdown to win the game. The next morning at film study, my dad said, that the coach kept rewinding the film and playing it, rewinding it and playing it. He kept saying this, watch Bedard on this play. Watch Bedard on this play. He would rewind it, and he would circle me, and he'd watch me from left end come all the way across the field and take that guy out. And he kept saying, watch Bedard on this play. And I remember when my dad came home, he was kind of beaming. He was praising me for what the coach praised me for. And I've, I've never forgotten that feeling until, right, I'll, I don't think I ever will. I'm 46 years old, and I was with my dad last night. And there's something about when your dad says, man, I love you. I believe in you. I'm for you. Did my dad love me more because I made that play? What do you think? Do you think my dad loved me more because the coach praised me and I made that block to spring that tail back to win the game? No, because of what we're going to study tonight. 
You see, my dad didn't raise me to get accolades and trophies and all those different things, right? Like that song we sing that Pastor Jason sings sometimes, right? That, that I don't, he doesn't need a trophy to make him proud. My dad didn't need a trophy to make him proud. He was proud, why? He loved me because he's my dad. You see, when you place love on someone, you don't have to earn it. It's placed on you and you're a son or you're a daughter. So here's your starting point question tonight is how do you know when someone really loves you? How do you know someone really loves you? Think about that for a second. You guys are in this time of your life, or maybe you guys are, some of you are starting to date, and you're beginning to talk about this word love. Some of you guys are what? Man, things have been hard at home, and you, you, you think about love, and you think about affection, and you think about different things, right? Some of you guys are really gifted athletes, and you go, does my coach love me? Does he, he or she love me more when I perform better? Maybe you're thinking about your friend groups at school and you're like, you know, do I really fit in with them? Do they like me when I date him or her? Do they like me better? Do they really love me? When you think about love, it brings up these emotions inside of us, right? Because our secular culture kind of, um, and just kind of throws love around like it's this word, like it's, right? Everybody should know what it is, but it's like, you know, KB loves a cheeseburger. No, KB should not love a cheeseburger like he loves God's word and like he loves Jesus. So I need to stop using that word. I love that cheeseburger. Love is something so personal and so intimate that you're going to see in the text tonight that God the Father didn't withhold his one and only son for you. His best. So do people love you when they show you attention? When someone shows you a lot of attention at school or in your home on your sports team, does that mean that they love you? Does someone say that they love you with their words? I, I tell my wife every day that I love her. I want to be the first. Here's one of my things every day is when I get to work or when Tracy gets to work, I want to be the first text message that she says that she sees on her phone. It says, hey, I love you. I hope you have a great day. And we always start our day with like that. And we always start our day with, I love you, have a great day, before she ever leaves the house or I leave the house. But does that mean I truly love Tracy if I just tell her that? Does someone love you because they spend quality time with you? That's one of our love languages, if we're being honest, right? Some of you guys could say right now, when someone sits down with me without their phone and looks me in the eye and spends time with me, that's my love language. When you get physical touch from somebody like a hug or a high five or a handshake, does that mean love? Or does love mean something like when someone does something for you and they give you gifts or right, they do something nice for you? You see, we all have this hole in our heart that God designed that way, but he only designed it with one perfect puzzle piece that fits that heart, that hole in your heart. And it's his love. You see, we try to fill that puzzle piece with all the wrong things. We were made to love, but our greatest love must be from our creator. When your car doesn't work and you go to the owner's manual, what do you do? There's a reason why there's an owner's manual in the glove box. Because someone put the car together and they know how to fix it. So when it comes to humans, who knows you better than the one who made you in your mother's womb? God. But if we get this wrong, your life and my life spirals in all the wrong places. 
we get this wrong in, in relationships, right? If we think that someone else is going to complete us, what happens? We make them an idol. What about priorities? You know mine. Mine was baseball for a long time. And I made it an idol, and God had to pry it from my hands. What about your interests, teenagers, or your passions? There's nothing wrong with those. Remember the equation I gave you a couple weeks ago? God's purpose for your life? Passion plus skill set plus burden plus prayer equals your God-given purpose. There's nothing wrong with having passions and a skill set. But when you make them your idol, what happens? They'll crush you real quick. They'll disappoint you. And how about the future? If you make the future your love idol, what happens? You'll think that a school, a relationship, a city, or a job, or a monetary bracket of income will what? That'll mean that I'm loved, that people will love me. Guys, we must have an anchor for our souls. We must have a North Star that's our beacon in life. We must have a love that outweighs them all. You've heard me say this before, that really at the core of our sin problem, KB's sin problem, is that I like sin because my body likes pleasure. And I have an enemy that lies to me. So when you have a sin problem, what's the only answer for sin? That you must have a greater love. Something must take the place of that counterfeit love, and it must be God. You see this in the Old Testament, you see this in the New Testament. Deuteronomy 6 says this, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then Jesus said it, Basically the same way in Matthew 22. He said, teacher, they asked him this, which is the most important commandment in the law? Just listen. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. What if we actually lived this way? What if you actually loved God like this? You know why we don't do it? Because we have an enemy that wants to destroy and ruin that perfect love relationship with your father. He hates you and he hates me and he hates the Bible and he hates Jesus and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. There's really four huge lies that we're going to look at in this text tonight before we jump in. Here's the first lie that Satan wants you to believe. Not on your outline, just listen. The first lie that Satan wants you to believe is that God is against you. Because of your sin debt, God is against you. That's the first lie. The second one is, is that God has charges against you that are unresolved. Have you ever been in a courtroom? They're not fun. And when you have charges against you and you can't do anything about it and no one will stand up on your behalf as an advocate, you're in trouble. The third lie, you stand condemned and there is no way back to God. This is another lie from Satan. You stand condemned and there's no way back to God. Back to the creator that you were made to love. And the last one is, is you are eternally separated from this holy God. Eternal means what, class? Forever. And if you can't get back to God, guess what? We're in big trouble. Paul answers all four of these in this beautiful text tonight. 
Here are the four questions that will shape your life. Number one is who can be against us? Write that down. Who can be against us? Number two is who can bring a charge against us? I'll go back to them, but I want you to fill them in because I know you like filling them in. Who can be against us? Who can bring a charge against us? Number three, who will condemn us? And number four, who can separate us? When you think about those four things, what the human heart longs for, does it feel good, teenager, look at me. Does it feel good when someone's against you or they don't like you? It never feels good, no matter what age you are. Does it feel good when there's a charge against you? Where you know you've done something wrong and someone has something against you. Does it feel good? It never does. How about when someone has, uh, has the ability to condemn you? I condemn you because you did this wrong and there's no way that you can get out of it. Man, that doesn't feel good. And how about this? Does it feel good when you're separated from someone or something that you love? No, it never does. It feels horrible. So Paul starts in Romans chapter 8, the end of it, in verse 31, with this incredible statement, right, that should completely change your life. He says this, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Now you might ask, what does he mean by that? Well, it's basically all of Romans 8 before that. That we've gone over in this incredible chapter in this series. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Do you remember that list? Do you remember those wonderful things? Before we even get to the text. Let me just remind you of these wonderful things that we are in Christ. Emmy, do you have these? We are justified before God. Thank you. Just take a picture of it. Just look at it. You don't have to write them down. These are the wonderful things that Paul's talking about. Before we even get to the text, this is what Paul has told you in all of Romans chapter 8. You're justified before God. You're reconciled to God. You get to enjoy peace with God. You're indwelt by the Spirit of God. You're not condemned before God. You're adopted by God. You have eternal hope in God. You're helped daily by the Spirit of God. You've been called by God. In God, all things are working for the good of those who love God. Man, praise be to God. You look at that list and you go, who could be against me? Come on, bring it on. It don't matter. If I'm good with God, it don't matter who's against me. In light of those truths, now let's read the passage. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, 
overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Here it is, guys. These last two verses will change your life, teenager, if you actually internalize these and read these every day for the rest of your life. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise be to God. Amen. Let's go. We don't even need small group. What if we actually believed these words and internalized it? That if God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. That you're His child and you're adopted and you're called and you're chosen. And you can never be separated. Now make sure that you guys understand that Paul's writing to who? These are Christians in Rome. So we claim these truths in victory when you are a child of God. If you are here tonight and you're not a child of God yet, we're so thankful that you're here. This is arguably one of the greatest texts that you could ever hear that will change your life. But if you have questions or if the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart tonight, you should not leave here tonight without talking to someone about it. Because if you were here Sunday, and you guys here Sunday in that Acts passage? Yeah? Do you remember Felix? What did he do? I'll call for you, Paul, when it's more convenient. And when he heard about faith in Christ Jesus, do you remember the word on Sunday? What did it say? Look at me. It said Felix was frightened. Have you been frightened over your sin and the fact that you are eternally separated from God if you don't make it right with him? And here's the beautiful thing. What did Paul just tell you? He killed his son for you so you could be right with him forever and live in victory forever. Is there anything better? Nothing. I gave you four questions, right, that could change your life. Here's the four answers that will change your life. Who can be against us? The answer, no one. Write it down. No one. God will give us all things since he gave us Jesus. Who can be against us? No one. God will give us all things because he gave us Jesus. 31 and 32. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? You see, if you read the ESV, it says, won't he give us all things? Here the NLT says, everything else. You know what that means? Is That means he'll give you everything you need to be eternally happy in God. Teenager, you remember where we started? What did KB long for? The Father's affirmation. The love from the Father. If I can get this block and get this state championship and do this for my dad, he'll love me. No, love was placed on me already. I was his son. And it says here that what? All the things you need to be eternally happy in life are found in Jesus. Teenager, stop looking for it in all these other places. Relationships and vehicles and, and, and man, status and popularity and money and what school you get into. There's nothing wrong with those things. But the greatest treasure you'll ever find in life is Jesus. Ask any adult in this room. Everything you need to live for is found in Jesus. Everything you need on this side of heaven. What did Paul just say? 
If God's for you, who's against you? All those different things that we put in the equation that we think are going to satisfy us or somehow make us better or make us right with God, they end up letting us down in the long run. Who can be against us? No one. Why? Because God gave you Jesus, the greatest gift. Do you see how the arguments from the greater to the lesser? If he great gave you the greatest thing, that's like if I asked Mallory, right? Mallory, my daughter, right? She loves when I put her on in my examples. Mallory, if you, like when she was a little girl, Mallory, if you have one wish, what would you wish for, right? If you could get anything from God, right? And imagine if she looked at me and she said, Daddy, I'd really like a donut. It's right. Hey, praise God, right? Donuts are good. A gift from God, right? Your gift from the Flores family tonight is when you leave small group, we're having a Krispy Kreme party, okay? Donuts are good, all right? Donuts are good. But donuts, look at me, are not Jesus, okay? So the arguments from the greater to the lesser. If God gave you Jesus, right? Is he not also going to give you everything else you need to be eternally happy in him? If it includes a donut, yeah. But would you settle for the donut if there was something greater? No, you wouldn't go, I'm just going to treasure this donut. This is going to bring me so much satisfaction. No, why? Because you eat it and you want 12 more, right? What's going to make you happy in your soul? Jesus, number two, who can bring a charge against us? The answer is no one. God has justified us. Who can bring a charge against you? Paul said, no one. Why? Because God has justified us. 33, who dares accuse us of whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. If you're right with God, guess what? No one else can do what? No one else can have a charge against you. If you're good with God, everybody else falls underneath. God has chosen you, you've been adopted, you get to call him daddy. In the courtroom, get this picture, you're condemned and you're on the defendant witness stand and God Almighty is the judge. If this was you, what would happen? You're condemned before God because of your sin. Now guess what he did? He got up from the judge's seat, took off his robe, came down there and did what? He put his robe on you and he took KB's orange jumpsuit and said, I'll pay his penalty. I'll pay it in full. I'll take whatever he has coming to him. I'll take it gladly, willingly. What would you do? You would look at him and you go, what do you say to such wonderful things? What would you do? That's cool, man. No, I'll keep the orange jumpsuit. You just keep the robe. No, you'd go what? Your greatest problem was solved right there. Now, would you live in disobedience or obedience to that judge? I'm going to live in obedience for the rest of my days. He came off the judge's stand, gave me his his robe of righteousness. He took the orange jumpsuit and said, I'll take your penalty and I'll take it every day willingly for all of you. What would you want to do? I want to serve that king. You've been justified. You've been cleared of all charges. Look at me, teenager. You are free. Stop living confined. I told this to a young lady last week. We were having lunch. We were talking. And praise be to God. I love it when you guys call me and say, hey, will you help me with my devotion or FCA devotion? Yes, yes, yes. 
and we were talking about freedom. And I said, hey, have you ever had a gerbil or a hamster? I had one when I was in South Florida when I was younger. Poor little guy. He didn't make it long. <laughs> but have you ever seen the hamster in the cage? Any of you guys have hamsters in here right now? Yeah? Anybody? Man, they're cute little guys, but they smell. And here's what they do all day, right? Look at me. When they're in that cage and you put that little wheel for them to run on, what do they do? They just run and run and run on that wheel. Is there anything better to do? Nothing. But if you take them out of that cage and you let them down on the carpet, you're not going to see them again. Am I right? Why? Because you just unlocked freedom to that hamster. No more wheel. Teenager, look at me. Get off the hamster wheel. Get busy living the life that God wants you to live. Number three, who will condemn us? The answer is no one. Jesus died and rose and he intercedes for us. Praise be to God. Who can condemn you? No one. Why? Because Jesus died. He said he would die. He rose three days later. He said he would. And he said what? I'm going back to the Father and I'm going to intercede for you every single day. Do you guys know what intercede means? That when you pray to God and you ask it in Jesus' name, right? Guess who's right there next to God? Jesus. And he's praying for you and he's looking down and said, that's my boy, that's my girl. Man, they're living for me. Man, they're repenting right there. I see that they want to turn things around. And Jesus says to the Father, and that's my child. And praise be to God. There's no condemnation. Why? Because he intercedes for us. He died. He rose. He's alive. He intercedes. Look at the verse. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us. He's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Guess what Satan's language to you is, teenager? Condemnation. You're too far from God to come back. Guess what the language of your father is? Another word that starts with C. Conviction. What's the difference? Condemnation. You hang your head and you close your door in your room and you won't come out. I can't do better. I won't do better. I can't get back to God. The language of the Father is what? No, conviction. You know that when the Holy Spirit is inside of you and you're doing something that you shouldn't, you what? You feel convicted of it, and you don't, don't stay there. You turn, and you walk towards, back towards God. You see the difference? Satan says you've gone too far. What does God say? No, I, took, I, I killed my son for you. You can come back anytime. Here's your last one. Number four. Who can separate us? The answer is no one. God's love in Jesus makes us super conquerors. Man, I love that. KB needs to get a t-shirt with that on or something. My wife said no more t-shirts. It's too many in the closet. Who can separate us? Teenager? No one. Why? Verse 35, 36, 37, 38, and 39. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Right? Anybody having, going through hard things right now? Yeah? Does that mean you're separated from God's love? No, never. He walks with you through it. For your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory, that's it, is ours in Christ. Who loved us? I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears for today, worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky. Guys, I think this pretty much, Paul says pretty much everything. 
Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Why? Because God loves us, because He chose to love us. Not anything in you or anything that you can do. Why? Anything in me may change. The way I'm feeling, the way I perform, not because of anything around you. Why? Because you know that changes all the time too. People, circumstances, He loves you, look at me, because He loves you. That's simple. He's on your side. He's for you. Look at this John Piper quote. I love this. All who are in Christ may say with almost unspeakable joy, God is for us. He is on our side. Teenager, what if you said that with joy every single day? God's on my side. Not on your team because you don't have a team. We don't have a team, right? God placed his love on you, sent his son for you. What? Man, I say this to some people sometimes. They look at me like I'm crazy, right? But guess what? God looks at KB and he says, that's my favorite. But then God looks at Jason and he says, that's my favorite. And he says it to Sarah. And he says it to Matthew. And he says it to Lane. And he says it to James. What if you internalized it? What if you stopped comparing and you said, yep, God is really for me. He does really love me. I look around in my life and I see the evidence of it everywhere. My favorite passages of Scripture is Psalm 23. And it says this in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Teenager, he placed his love on you. It's chasing you down. Do you see mercy and goodness following you around in your life? You're going to small group in a minute. Just bear with me for a minute, okay? Do you see it chasing you down? What's the proper response if what? Nothing can separate, nothing can condemn, right? All these things that we just went over tonight, what's the proper response in your life, teenager, and adult in the room, and me? Two simple words, worship and obedience. That's the proper response. Worship all of life, everything you do for the glory of God, and obedience. When he asks you to do something, why? Because you know it's wrapped in his love. I want to read you this verse and then send you to group. Because we know that what? Paul didn't write just Romans. He wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. What if this was your prayer, teenager, for your life? What if this was the way that you wanted to live your life? Philippians 1, verse 20. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. You shouldn't be ashamed of this love. You should love it, internalize it. And then Paul says, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know what Paul's saying is, man, what's better I want to go be with Jesus, but until he calls me home, what am I going to do? I'm going to make his name famous. I'm going to know him, and I'm going to make him known. Piper said this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What if that was the motto for your life? God gets the most glory from you, teenager, when you're most satisfied in him. Because when you don't get satisfied in God, what do you do? Relationship, sports, status, KB did it all. And I put them on the blank, and they left me broken and empty. Guess what? That's my life mission now. 
God gets the most glory from KB's life when I am most satisfied in him. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your great love for us. If God is for us, who could be against us? And praise God. No condemnation, no separation, no accusation. Just the love of the Father placed on us forever. Thank you, Jesus. Father, would you supernaturally speak through our small group leaders now? These set of verses could change a teenager's life forever. Father, if there's one, if there's five, if there's ten in here that don't know that love, but they've, something's been happening inside of them, the Holy Spirit's tugging on their heart, God, would you lead them to a leader, to myself, or to their knees tonight before they go to bed to say, I believe that I was made to love God forever, but I'm separated from him from my sin, and I believe that Jesus really did come die for that sin, and three days later he rose again, and he's alive today, and he intercedes for me, and he's coming back for me, and he loves me, and nothing could ever, be, could ever separate me from that love. I want that love in my life because everywhere I look, I get let down because there's no greater love than the love of the Father. God, thank you that you would love us that much, that you would give your best. God, I think about my two children. I think about my Matthew, who's going to graduate in a couple weeks. And for me to say, I would willingly kill my son for someone else. It's almost mind-blowing to even think. You gave your best so that you could have more children. Praise be to God. Is there any greater love in the world? There's none. I pray every teenager in here knows that love, feels that love. If they question that love, they talk to an adult tonight. God, thank you for these beautiful verses. Paul just concludes the greatest chapter in the Bible with arguably the greatest eight or nine verses in all of Scripture that just scream at us that God's for us and God loves us. No one told me this when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. No one. Thank you, God, that you have a church that believes in the next generation and every week they get to hear the gospel. What if we actually internalized these words? It would lead to two things, worship and obedience. God, we want to trust you. We want to love you. We want to worship you, and we want to walk in obedience. Speak now through our leaders. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.